we're going to uh, be in the book of Philippians, chapter, starting the end of chapter 1, verse 27. The last week and this week and two weeks coming, we're talking about um, these four things that we say we hope at Valley Hope are the marks of who we are and what we do. The first week we talked about the gospel. What, is it, what does that really mean to be a part of the big story of God? And I, I told you our, we are not like making four legs of a table here. Um, and the gospel is one of the legs of one of four. The gospel is the fountainhead out of which these other things flow. And that's important to remember that as we talk today about community and what it means to be the, the gathered community of, of the church. Um, so we're going to read here in Philippians 1, starting at verse 27. We're going to go all the way to Philippians 2, 18. So it's, a, it's a good little chunk uh, in the letter to the Philippians. You can... Um, you can watch, read on the screen, you can just listen, you can look at your own Bible, whatever suits you best. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you, that you saw I had, <clears throat> and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that even as the rain falls upon the earth, you over and over and over again send your spirit upon your church. And God, we pray that just as the ground is fully saturated now this morning, we pray that our own lives will be saturated by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open 
and we would be pierced by your word in our inmost being and that our lives would be shaped to conform more and more to the image of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, you know, I, I wish, it's, a, it's, it's in a way a shame that Pentecost falls, um, falls on a rainy Memorial Day weekend. It's not quite the, the vibe of the, the powerful falling of the Spirit upon his church. But I do think that uh, looking outside and seeing the rain steadily fall needs to be interpreted in our own minds as a reminder to us that God does not just send his Spirit at Pentecost, um, he did in an initiatory way, but he continues to continually fill and refill his people. Um, and just as God is not running out of the rain, at least for our, at least our region, um, he is certainly not running out in his spirit that his people would be constantly replenished and nourished in his own life. And it's an, a really important image to have in your mind as we look today at this, this theme of community. Um, and what Paul speaks of, not even necessarily directly describing, let me now describe to you what community looks like, but his uh, assumptions and heart for what Christian community might look like for the Philippians is instructive for us. This is not everything in this one passage about what Christian community should look like, but it's a lot. It's, it's a significant amount. Paul is writing to this first European church from jail. And he loves the Philippian church. He's very happy with them, which is not always the case when Paul is writing in the New Testament. He's often quite cranky. And there's no crankiness in the book of Philippians at all. He's just happy about them. He's happy for them. And he encourages them in the, the sort of overflow of joy that he's having, even in the midst of being in chains, um, whether he's under house arrest or in a jailhouse. Paul's only eager and happy with the people of Philippi. And here he talks about these marks of what community might look like and how they ought to be in life together. It's, I think, probably uncontroversial for me to say uh, that you and all people need community. You need it. And I think that's, uh, that's probably not something that I'd get much pushback from people outside the church. I think it's a, it's a felt human need. It is a, is a human desire to have community that we can all pretty much say, yes, I am on board with that. And, and we would say, I would say, of course, that's because God made people to be that way. But even if you're not a Christian and you don't think that way, we can at least observe that it is true that we need it. And yet, while it is easy to say, I think we all need community, we have to also look at the way that the world is now and acknowledge that we don't seem to model life together out in the world as if that is true. I say that because you can look at all the data. People have never been more isolated Lonely, depressed, anxious, flowing out of an eroding sense of community identity. People spend less time with one another 
You know, some of the ways that we, we mark that are things like teenagers have never been more likely to delay getting a driver's license. When, when I, I'm not that old, I, I think. I'm really trying to believe that. I'm not that old. I'm only 38. When I was 16, I was looking to get my driver's license the day that I could. And as soon as I did, I drove away from my house and went to my friend's house. Today, it is not uncommon for teenagers to say, I don't really need one. And the, the average age of, of acquiring a driver's license is being delayed. There's another number of, of markers like that. We, we need community. We all collectively say community. We have more ability to be connected than any time in human history. My, um, <clears throat> my parents live outside of Atlanta. And I have at my house several machines in which I can sit in and within hours traverse hundreds of miles and eat lunch with them. Really, if I want any time that I want, I could be there and see them in, in four hours or less. Well, Atlanta traffic being what it is, maybe, maybe five. But most of us have access to automobiles and can do that to cross vast different distances and see one another. We could hop in an airplane and go even further. If I really wanted to talk to my parents right now, probably even literally right this second, I could pull out a magic black rectangle, press a couple buttons on a piece of glass, and I could see their face on a screen, and I could talk to them whenever I wanted to. And yet people are more lonely than ever before. While still saying community is really, really important. We have a, a universally accepted need. We have widely available means to address this need. And we have more and more people than ever alone, depressed, disconnected. We say we want something. And yet we're not sure that we do. We settle for substitutes instead. I, um, I get it. I understand. I, I can tell you that I want community. And we're going to talk about what, what kind of community this, this even looks like for Christians. I used to go to this wine shop in Black Mountain to get a bottle of wine. But then I stopped going there. Do you know Why? because I saw too many people that I knew. And it's not because I'm like ashamed that I'm buying a bottle of wine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just didn't want people to see me, just generally. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to have a conversation with people that I knew. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop going there. I'm going to go someplace else. So I found a different wine shop near the gym that I work out in South Asheville. And lovely place, you know, great selection, little cards that tell you about the wine. I mostly don't know what they mean, but I just buy them, usually lower on the rack because they're cheaper. And I went there a few times, and then one time I walked in there, and there's a face I recognized, and she said, hey, Mr. Rodriguez, and I was like, 
oh, I'm not coming here anymore. <laughs> I, I didn't want them to know me. I didn't want them to know my name. I didn't want them to remember me. I didn't want them to remember. This is just a lovely small business, right? I know I'm the neurotic one. I, I understand that. I didn't want this nice, local, small business to learn who I was, to get to know me, even if they were just trying to help me find a better bottle of wine. Why? Yes, do I have deep-seated emotional issues? Fine, granted, I, I grant you that. I don't want to be known. I want to, theoretically, but I don't actually want to if you know what I mean. Because I don't, I don't want people to actually see what's under the hood in the guts of my life. And if it starts as far out from the core of my personality as what are my preferences in a bottle of wine, well, then I'll protect that boundary. Because I don't, I don't want the risk of people actually being able to be connected to who I am as a person. And so we can agree broadly. Uh, I, I need community. You need community. We all need community. But when it starts to become an actionable thing is when things really start separating out, do you really know that you need it? We're not talking about what you, what you want. We're talking about what you, what I need and we are not just talking about community broadly. See, this is, this is where the paths diverge between the people inside the church and outside the church. Because when I can talk to people who are not Christians, we can agree on this, we, we need community. But what, what as a Christian, what, what I'm going to say is, actually, we don't just need uh, affinity groups. We don't just need to have people with whom we like doing stuff, people who, with whom we are similar, people whose personalities are similar to ours, people who uh, we don't mind spending a few hours with. That's fine. It's good. And for many people outside the world, they don't even have that because in the world there's fewer and fewer places to have it. You can meet people like that at work, and that's kind of it. You can meet people at work. And you hope that that works out. So you might feel like if I come to a room like this once a week, maybe, more honestly, once a month-ish, I'm doing better than most people. And you are. You probably actually are doing better than a lot of people in the world. But that itself is not what you need. It's not what I need. And it's not what Paul talks about. Merely sort of checking a box, being around other humans, occasionally doing things that you like with people that you like is not a description of New Testament Christianity. It is not a description of biblical community. We can see in this little passage the kinds of things that Paul has in mind for a Christian community. And, and they're a lot deeper than that. He speaks of being of one mind and one spirit, people that you can be unified with. It, it's a community that's marked, he says, not by fear, but instead embracing a spirit of joy. He, he says this stuff in chapter 2 that is profoundly challenging. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This, I think, is one of the most challenging statements, commands in the New Testament. Do not consider yourself more significant. Consider others more significant, more important, of higher priority than yourself. And let me just tell you, if you could live inside of my wild mind, if you could hear the internal narrative and monologue all the time, almost every sentence in my head starts with I. The object of every verb is me. I naturally, by habit and instinct, do not consider others more significant than myself. I habitually believe that you all should consider me more significant than you. And when the world does not align with that particular worldview and conviction, that is where I begin to be frustrated and annoyed. And for Paul to say it's the opposite, he doesn't say balance the equation, he says consider others more significant than yourself. That, when we start talking about Christian community, that's when the, the definitions and the opinions divert. Because that kind of community is not acceptable. That is not what, what people mean when they say that outside of these walls. There's a reason Paul says about this community, don't be marked by grumbling and arguing. Because you should be living in such close proximity with people who drive you insane that you are inclined to grumble and argue. And so if, if you are part of a so-called community and you're never even tempted to grumble and argue, you're not doing what Paul is talking about. Paul says, Paul says that you rejoice with each other. He says, I rejoice with you despite my suffering. You rejoice with me. My own experience of joy is not tied just to my own personal experience, but somebody else's. And that kind of community is what we are talking about. That's what we want in a Valley Hope. We, we do not, quite frankly, we do not want you to be able to come here once a week, once a month, whatever, feel like you check a box and then check out. Because that, that is not the goal put out there by Paul. This, this is not a place for programming that will adequately sort of fill enough of the needs and we all say, yeah, we're kind of we're cool with that. We're, we're happy with that. It should cost you something. The only kind of Christian community worshiping community that the New Testament envisions is one that is incredibly costly. It's difficult to be a part of because you are a sinner and you have to be in real and authentic and deep connection with other sinners. You see other people's junk and it rubs up against you. It hurts you. It, it invades your life. And you are, of course, then inclined to grumble and complain. You are, of course, inclined to protect yourself as more important than the other in person. If that, if that command is never even tested in your life in relationship to a church, 
you're not experiencing the depth of the kind of Christian community that Paul wants for you. And it's not what we want for, for anyone. What we want for everybody at, at Valley Hope is for you to experience true, vulnerable, transparent relationship with others. So that when you are actually rejoicing in your life, there's other people that know it. And they're rejoicing with you. So that when you are being a jerk, there's other people that it affects. So you have actual other people to look at you in the eye and say, hey, you're being a jerk. You should stop that. That's not how Jesus would have you operate. And it it hurts. This is the thing. This is the difficult thing. Christian community, in its ideal, is a beautiful, sacrificial thing that, that you would gladly leverage your life for. When, when people in the book of Acts, they, you, you read that it says that they, they, sold every, they sold what they have and they brought it for the sake of everybody else. It's not like the apostles were standing there behind them pointing a sword at their back and saying, you better do this. They joyfully did it. And they considered it a worthwhile investment of their time, their life, their resources, everything. At its best, that's what Christian community looks like. And that's how it operates. The problem is that we could probably go to every single person in this room and you can tell a story about how that same community has failed you, has failed people that you love. There's people in here who have said, in this church, not the church broadly, in this church, I, I've sat in the room with people for months, years, Nobody wanted to know me like that. I tried, and I was ignored. There are people here who have been rejected while being as vulnerable as possible. There are people here who have been manipulated, steamrolled, abused in this church or some other. So that probably, if this is not your first day in church... Probably every single person in here could point exactly to where the scars are. And it just feels impossible. How are you going to tell me this is what Christian community is supposed to be like? Because then what it feels like is there must be a whole bunch of people somewhere. And all those other people, they get to have that Christian community. I must be a part of the small number that for whatever reason, I just can't have it. I'll never be, I maybe had it once, but I'll never have it again. So then you just read Philippians 2 and it just feels like vinegar massaged right into those wounds. Christian community then feels impossible. How are we supposed to do this? I mean, I, 
I can promise you that if I know you for some length of time, I will fail you. If you've known me anywhere from a range of beginning with five minutes up to five years, I, I have personally sinned against you, I'm almost certain. And if you don't know me yet, I promise you there are witnesses in the room of my own sin and failure. And look, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be, theoretically, the one that is able to say, this is how you should live your life, but I'm going to tell you about my life. I sin against people in this church and every Christian community I've ever been a part of. And so the evidence piles up in front of my own eyes. How can I hope for this? I am a contributor to the failure. It is impossible. And this is where you have to understand that Christian community flows out of the gospel. And the Christian community is not itself the gospel. So what you, you do need, you do need Christian community. Despite all the risk and all the failure and all the pain, I would still say you as a human being, you need this kind of community. And if your hope is in this particular Christian community or any other that you go try to find, you will be failed. Because the hope of the community is not the community itself. It's Jesus. It's always only Jesus. Paul's icon for understanding what Christian community should look like is not just a list of theoretical attributes. It is in Philippians 2, the person of Jesus. Paul says, if you want to know what Christian community and relationship looks like, you have to look at him. And you have to see that this one, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, he took on the form of a servant, he took on the form of a servant for people that he knew would do just the thing that they did, which is crucify him. And he did that, emptying himself, serving those who would crucify him, so that when he was resurrected, that one day the whole world would be able to see him and say with clarity, this one is Lord. And Paul says that is what Christian community looks like. It is also the hope that we can have for any kind of Christian community. I cannot look you in the eye, whether you are a, you, if this is the first time you're coming to Valley Hope, please, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. If you've been here for, for a decade, I cannot look at anybody's eyes who's been here for the first time or the 10,000th time and tell you, let me tell you why you can have hope that Valley Hope is the place for you, that Valley Hope is going to be the one to heal these wounds for you, that Valley Hope is going to be the one to change all these archetypes in your life. Valley Hope is going to be the one where vulnerability and transparency is safe. It's not going to happen. I can't do that. Because my hope, our hope together is in the gospel. It is in Jesus. 
It is not in this community. I can, instead, I can walk you around the room and tell you, let me show you where all the wounds are, where all the bodies are buried, and say, isn't this a bunch of messed up people? It's crazy. The only reason we exist is Jesus. And the only way that I have hope going forward that we can all get out of this mess is Jesus. I have no length of programs for you. I have no sermon series that I can preach for you. I can have no moral behavior list for you to check the boxes on. I have no volunteer role for you to occupy that then I can say, well, now you can have hope that it's going to be all right. I have nothing. It's none of it. None of it is going to work. I have only one hope for the impossibility of Christian community is Jesus himself, who did not hold on to what was his by rights, but instead served his people to the point of death and on the other side of his grave. My only hope is that Jesus is still Jesus. We have messed this up. I don't know how many, however long that we've been around since 2004, all of those years of messing up, I, my only hope going forward is Jesus. I have nothing in my track record personally or in our history together that says, you can put your hope in Valley Hope. You cannot. You can put your hope in Jesus. And that is it. And, and therefore, when you see sin in my life, and I see sin in yours, we should look at, at each other as the community of the unsurprised. And what we have to say to one another in that moment with clarity and honesty and integrity is, your hope is in Jesus. That's it. Now I see it better in you. You see it better in me. Now the gospel is being spoken more clearly and more directly in my life than ever before. So that even your failures that you experience in the context of Christian community become little gateways for Jesus to present himself as the good news. Do you see how that works? It's not good that you're wounded it's not good that you're failed. It's not good that you have sinned against other people. But in the darkness and the fracturing and the splitting open of your own life and the painfulness of being in community, again and again, Jesus steps in and says, that's right, you better not have hope in yourself. It's only going to be me. And he will not fail you. He will not. He will always, always and only be himself. And you and I need a kind of community that flows from his own life. And that's why it is so important to say this stuff on Pentecost. Because Jesus' own spirit lives inside of his people. Jesus' own spirit lives inside the people of this church. Jesus' own spirit lives inside the people of every true church. And our hope is that he will continue to be himself. And then when spirit-filled people sin against one another, in that place, the spirit of God can and does work to overshadow us. See, the community is not the gospel. I, my hope for anybody is not, man, I really hope you go to church. That's not my primary hope. 
my primary hope is, and I hope you meet Jesus. In the church, the community is a signpost. We're just, we're just a direction of travel. We are a sign in the world that God loves people like us. Over and over and over again, we are a people who are made and remade together by the power of the Spirit of God who would not abandon the world or abandon his people. Even on the long list of our failures, he still comes to be with us. That is a signpost to the whole world because that's the way that God is. My hope for all of my friends who are not yet lovers of Jesus is to come meet Jesus. My hope for Valley Hope is that we would be a people together who embody a billboard to the world. Look, Jesus loves even people like us. And there is space even for people like you. Because if God would love us, we know that we know that he would love you. Jesus is our only hope. And if you are here today and you've realized um, you've, you've been trying to buy community at no cost, <laughs> you're, you're content to have the, the barest, barest outlying markers of community. You, you like some people that you see every once in a while. You don't really deal with the people that you don't like or are too different from you. And you're realizing you've kind of just moved away from this sort of deep in your guts kind of Christian community, and you've realized that's really been about you pursuing your own comfort and agenda, then today there's good news for you. Jesus has more for you, and your hope doesn't have to be in this church or the people that you really don't quite like yet. Your hope is in Jesus. And you should turn, you, come, you should come get what he has for you. And if you are here today and you have been bruised, battered, beat up, and abandoned in the church, let me tell you the truth. That should never have happened to you. Never should have happened. And I'm so sorry that it did. Please know that Jesus will always treat you better than his people would. Every way that people have fallen short, Jesus rises above, and he will always be himself towards you. And he's coming for you today. And today, if you are overwhelmed by guilt, because you know that you have contributed to other people's stuff, Jesus is your only hope too. He loves you so much that he would atone for you. He would make things right for you. He would make a way for you, even you. And you should come put your hope in Jesus. And I do want to say, I know there are some people, you barely made it in the door. Just showing up occasionally is, is about all that you can manage. I just, I want you to hear me say, it's okay. All right? It, it is okay. Jesus, Jesus will be faithful to you. He definitely has more for you. 
But if this is what you have right now, he will still be himself to you. And we are glad that you're here. Even if you're barely crawling across the threshold. But please don't put your hope here. Or your experience. Or yourself. Or your volunteer list. Put your hope in Jesus. He's the only one that will make it be any different than it is right now. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we give you thanks for your faithfulness and your kindness towards your people. God, we thank you that it's even possible to dream of a community that looks like this, that prioritizes others instead of ourselves, that's marked by the, the attributes of the kingdom, that values the poor and the weak and the forgotten, that, that we could weep with those who weep and we could take joy with those who would take. That, that dream can only be possible because of you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, we can be drawn into the life of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the community of the divine person now is available to us. And that, that little thing that can happen between us is a pale reflection of your own magnificent power in life. God, would you continue by your Holy Spirit to usher us into the real experience of your life. God, help us to be a people together at Valley Hope that live transparently and vulnerably, that have costly community that requires things of us, and that is a community that we are excited and glad to sacrifice for. God, I pray that you would help us to see all the places in our lives where we actually prefer ourselves, count ourselves as more significant than others. And God, would you kind of push down the idolatry of ourselves there. And I pray for those who are barely limping by. Father, I pray that they would not be dictated to and determined by the wounds that they have received in the church. I pray that they would not cling to those things or, or be defined by those things. And I pray that you bring healing. God, I pray that you would heal up our wounds as the scriptures say you would. That by your own wounds, we might receive healing. Father, I pray for those who are just barely clinging to hope. And God, I pray that you would be centered in their vision. That they would let go of their painful obsession with hope in other places. And instead, that we all together would be left only with the vision of Jesus. God, let our lives together and individually be dominated by the vision of the crucified and resurrected Lord. I pray that our hopes would only always be there, where they are only and always safe with you. Jesus, we thank you for your great love for your people. We thank you for your faithfulness. Let us more and more look like the object of your love. Let us more and more look like a faithful and loving people in response. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.